0: Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from CPAs and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you real results both in business and building the life you desire. All right. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 24 of the Cultivating Business Growth podcast brought to you by PJS and co-CPAs. I'm your host, Megan Spicer, and we have been chatting about cash flow and putting safeguards in place over the past few weeks. Today, we are welcoming someone very familiar with banking on today's show. We are talking about the top three ways to make your business more bankable, as well as talking about a line of credit, interest rates, and some things you should try to avoid when it comes to getting commercial lending as well. So today we have one of our owners and also CPA, Jamie Johnson, on again. Hello. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Meg. How are
1: you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm super excited because I get to be nostalgic and step back and talk to one of my old bosses.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. He was
1: there when I start, very, very, very first started off. So very I'm cool. Very excited about it.
0: Very cool. Yes. Today we are talking to the president and CEO of Cornerstone National Bank and Trust Company, a full service commercial bank. Welcome, Jeff Boundy. Well, thank you. We are so excited to have you, you want- on today and talk about banking and commercial lending and a couple of questions that we get from our clients on a regular basis.
2: Good. Well, I, I look forward to it.
0: Fantastic. Well, to start off, I know Jamie said you guys go back, way back, but can you give us a little background about yourself and how you got into the banking industry?
2: Sure. After uh, college, I jumped into commercial banking. Actually, uh wasn't sure if I wanted to do the accounting route or the banking route. Uh, I actually did the CPA route myself uh, as well and uh, decided to get into commercial banking. Uh, enjoyed what advice and the consulting aspect of it with, uh business clients. And I've done that ever since. And so it's uh, a little over 30 years now. So I've got some, uh, some history with a variety of markets, as well as uh, all types of industries. So that that's been the focus. And, uh, and then 20 years ago, in 2000, we started uh, this bank from scratch, we left a uh, money center bank. And uh, we started uh, our own commercial bank, Uh, So we could really focus on companies that were, our our focus was to be, to business owners that are privately held. So not publicly traded companies. And that's what we've continued to do for the last 20 years. And Jamie was a former colleague here. So she knows the, uh, she knows the scoop of Cornerstone.
1: I did. And like from a, from a complete reverse, how he was talking about how he wasn't sure if he wanted to go into banking and accounting. You know, I left college and I was I was like, this, this accounting business is like no good for anybody. (laughs) I don't know why anybody would do this. And I avoided the CPA route. And it was actually, I jumped into the finance and the banking aspect. Um, They were my first job out of college and the best job, one of the outside of this PGS, I would say my best job um, out of college and everything. They actually turned me to accounting. It was all of the analysis work and the guidance and the just the input and how we did business there at Cornerstone that really paved the way for my CPA license. I would say they really, they really made, they brought everything together. They made my whole accounting background make sense. (laughs) So
2: JB, I I completely agree with you because uh, if I go back to how I started, I started exactly the same way as you. I started as a commercial credit analyst and, and it, I was constantly dealing with all kinds of accounting issues for businesses, you know, for our clients. And and it it taught me a lot because instead of it being something I was learning from a book, it was actually having an impact on a an individual, on a business owner. And and so that was really the the focus that's how I learned. Um, those aspects, and quite frankly, I don't think I was a good accounting student in college. And and after after college or after the experience as a credit analyst, um, going back to grad school, I went and took the CPA just because I had learned so much from the analyst side. And so similar to you, I had then a crossroads to figure out if I wanted to stay in, in banking or, or go the CPA route. And I ended up uh, staying in banking, and and uh, you know it's been a good history so far. Um, but I, I look at, uh, I think a true business bank should consider the the uh, banking services as just happens to be a coincidental product that they offer because primarily we're a consulting firm. Mm. And so if you really have a, a decent bank, they should be really more of a consulting firm first versus a uh, just trying to sell a product. And uh, it's way more interesting that way. You know, that's why I made the comment before about the different industries that we're being exposed to. And, and then you try to bring that, that, that expertise that may work in one and doesn't work in another and you try to figure out why. And then you try to help your clients, um, you know, with the decision making that they're doing is I would really look at us as probably a glorified facilitator versus a director because we're walking in and asking them questions. Um, we're not going to know how to run their business. But when we see something that doesn't make sense, we should ask them uh, how they evaluate what that challenge is, mm. you know, versus just telling them what we think a solution is. And then we learn through asking them questions and they, they learn as well. Could be some simple things about their own company. It could be something about the industry um, or it could be an opportunity that maybe they're missing. So it's I do see us as a, a consulting business that happens to have a banking product.
0: Well, I think that garners a lot of respect from your clients as well. You know, not just assuming you have the answers based on a very topical conversation, but digging deeper, having that curiosity, learning more about what they're trying to do and maybe the solutions that they've thought of versus just offering, you know, oh, I have the answer. Um, You know, and I know Jamie and I were having a conversation prior to getting on this call and just having a banker that goes to bat for you. I know that was one of the biggest things that, you know, she was talking about in regards to Cornerstone and she has a lot of, has a lot of respect for you and your business and the way that you approach doing that for clients as well.
2: Yeah. I, and, and I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think a, a big impact when you clients that want to have an interactive, uh, you know, we both learn. You want to have a very interactive relationship with, with the professionals they surround themselves with, whether it be uh, accounting, legal, um, insurance a lot of times, as well as, as, as banking. And so I, I think that that's a, an advantage that a lot of people don't succeed and in, in take advantage of getting to know their, their banker better. you know, spend the time, talk about challenges they're seeing in the business that's not necessarily just around a financial instrument. You know, it can be around anything that they're trying to do. Whether they're, do I hire more staff? You know, here's five product lines that I'm doing. What's a challenge about any one of them? And so, if if I see clients that that don't want to embrace that, and they're really looking more for the transaction because, and they're they're really missing out. And I'd argue if I look at what um, successful business owners have done they really embrace that. It's no different than investing in yourself. I always try to push our clients to say, invest in yourself first. Hmm. You know, don't just try to rob your company, take all the money out and put it in the stock market because, you know, your grandparents told you, you only have money if it's under your, if it's under your mattress. Right. Um, no invest in your company and you know what return you can get. And so the, the impact that they can have and the success they can have is much greater. And so, in that, that two-way street of the relationship of working with uh, the customers. And, and it, it's asking difficult questions, saying, you know, what level of leverage do you feel comfortable with? Everybody is different from that standpoint, but but learning about what a banker is looking at leverage and what a customer feels comfortable with, if we're doing our job in we'll the customer understand where our, our baselines are at, where our, our firewalls are at, where we don't want to go past, you know, the, the 2009 uh, recession timeframe that destroyed a lot of businesses certainly had a major impact on the banking industry. Clients really at that point in time needed to take advantage of their banks because they needed to have heart-to-heart discussions to say, bank, where are you going to be uncomfortable? And when they learn that and say the bank's limit for a working capital position, you know, when, when, when do we need to adjust our capacity to meet our revenue? And in working with the bank to understand where the bank is concerned and where the bank would put them into a workout scenario versus where the business owner should be concerned. They're mm. two totally different things.
3: Yeah.
2: So we went out to our clients and said, here's where the wall is at for us, but where's your wall? And so we went out to them early on when the recession started We said, let's figure out what would happen if, if your revenues dropped by another 5% or 10%. Because what was happening during that time is businesses, their capacity was 10 and their revenue was supporting something that was a a fraction of that. Right. And so we're saying, where do you adjust your capacity to meet your revenue? So where's your hot button? And we'd say, hey, our hot button in their scenario, and it was different than everybody. It depends on what their balance sheet, depending on what their their overall financial position was. Um, But we'd say, hey, here's where our wall is at. Let's say on a 1 to 10 scale, maybe our wall was at 4 would say, well, right now, you know, what are you going to do to adjust yourself um, to match your revenue in line with your, you know, what your capacity is? And, uh, you know, whether it's employees, whether it's facilities, whether it's equipment, you know, what are you doing to adjust? And so we sat down with them and the ones that were very interactive with us, while I know it wasn't comfortable in a lot of the conversations, what ended up happening was their production meter their level of, quite frankly, um, happiness and employee satisfaction went through the roof because they were making difficult decisions that nobody else was pushing them to do. Yeah. Because we weren't telling them what to do. We were just trying to say, what would you do if you adjusted down by another X percent in revenue? Mm. And they would come and tell us, well, then I would do this. And then when it happened, we would say, hey, let's get together and talk about what you've done. They weren't happy about that. But then they would make their adjustments, and what happened? What we found very successful is, while they didn't want to be, who wants to talk about something negative, right? right? While they didn't want to talk about that, they found that as soon as they addressed what was negative, instead of that stress level being significant, stress level dropped significant, not only in the business owner, but also in all of their their uh, managers, their staff, and then they could see. Now I can see how we can succeed. Right. And their environment their environment really grew. So it's going back to what your initial question was, is you know, that or the initial discussion we were starting with is that that interaction with with the the lender, you know, with the banker. How do I improve my cash flow? How do I improve my my overall cost structure of what I'm doing? And how do I take advantage of somebody that I'm willing to open up my entire financial profile to? You know, because business owners don't want to open up to just anybody, right? But they they talk to a banker, they talk to an accountant, and they'll tell us everything. Yeah. Well, they already feel comfortable with that. So now that that's already on the table, now let's have some much deeper dialogue, and and that that is much more interesting from a banker side, and and certainly from a, a business owner side. And and that's why if I go back and look at the components I've seen in our most successful clients that have the the highest satisfaction, I believe, from their staff. They're the ones that are being very interactive with their uh their professionals, not just banker. Right. Their accounting firm, their law firm, a lot of times insurance and certainly the bank. Yeah. will quit monopolizing the conversation.
0: No, you're fine. You're fine. That's a great recommendation. I mean leverage the information and the professionals that you're you're working with. I mean that's the reason that you've brought them into your circle to help manage your business and help grow and have those difficult conversations that often do lead to growth. So it's it's not right. always a fun conversation but sometimes necessary to see where the improvements could be made and ultimately leading to that growth.
2: That that's very true. I mean we we tried to work with clients to, to work on that practice. You know, back when I was just starting out of college, that's how I was trained. And so when we started Cornerstone, we did. We started our own business. We sat in a coffee shop, said, let's create our own bank. So now we walked into the exact same shoes the clients uh, experienced. Mm. And a bank is no different than any other business. We had to develop all of our cost structures. We had to figure out what's the right thing to do. And so we started listening to the advice we were giving. And we invest in ourselves and we've continued to do that to this day. And now all of a sudden it's become a much more simple process because we're, we're again, we're constantly investing in ourselves. We're never assuming that we have the answer and we're bringing in outside professionals and getting them involved with us to say, what's the current, you know, challenges in the marketplace. What's the the current challenges that we might not be seeing right under our nose. So, we're practicing exactly what we encourage our clients to do and because of that i mean our our company has been uh very successful i'm quite proud of uh uh the fortunate position of of walking through a recession uh w- way way better than what our are we finding our industry did and uh and now where we're sitting today and we have no turnover in staff and we have no turnover in clients so from a culture standpoint you know we've got to be doing something right. I don't pretend to know what the answer is, but when you you encourage people to um to be part of something and you encourage them to to develop their own level of happiness inside their company, it stems not just to them, it stems through their staff. So, it's made a difference.
1: Yeah. Sounds familiar, Megan. I learned from a good one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Jamie, here, you're not I here, so I don't think show. we are
2: that good. <laughs>
0: So, as I said in the intro, we've been talking about cash flow and getting a line of credit set up and, um, you know, covering businesses in that type of time of cash crunch. So, do you have any recommendations for business owners on, you know, that process of when to get it set up and maybe what they need to get it, to get something like that started?
2: You know, it's an old cliche, banks want to give you money when you don't need it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's actually very true so as as things are favorable and you and somebody doesn't think that they need a line of credit and they're looking at their working capital and they're looking at how fast their receivables are turning and what they need for for any other component, whether it's inventory or maybe even some equipment um don't wait get the get the discussion going with the bank um The bank is going to look at some simple factors they're going to look at at the overall leverage and it's in the balance sheet. Um, banks are going to want to see that the tangible equity in the company, um, the traditional commercial banks are going to want to see the tangible equity in the company is, is less than three to one leverage. So less than $3 of debt to every $1 of equity. Uh, okay. That's where they're really going to want to focus. And so if somebody is walking in with that parameter, then the bank is going to look at the income statement and they're going to want to understand if there's a trend happening, high growth, if there's a trend in uh, an increase or decrease in margin, and then they're ultimately just gonna put that to a cash flow. And and banks are still, ever since I've entered into it, while we we look at a variety of different uh, methods of cash flow, the most simple one we all come back to, and that's just taking EBITDA. And we'll take EBITDA and we'll wanna see over required debt payments, that EBITDA is gonna have um, a 1.25 or greater uh, coverage. And that's that's a big number for a bank, that um, 1.25. And what happens is, is the business owner, the smaller the company, the business owner may choose that, depending on what they have going in their own life at that moment, to take a higher compensation or lower. And so what, what the business owner needs to do with the bank is to make sure that the bank understands how discretionary their compensation is. And I'll give you an example. We'll have a client that may draw, and I'm, I'm going to be a little... Uh, and direct in one client. I we just had a discussion. We've got a client that was making two million dollars a year in profit and they were pulling uh two million dollars a year out of the company. You know, oh. and, and because their company was pretty healthy. Well their company uh then had some challenges and the revenue dropped back, well the owner still wanted to take two million. Um, banks are going to look at that as negative. Yeah. But then we want to understand that owner's ability to reinvest it if they need to, and then did the owner need the money? In this case, the owner didn't need the money. So the bank still looks at it as favorable. But when the business owner educates the bank on, you know, what's really necessary to come out, we can understand their their investing decision and their, their kind of personal investment profile. But just some simple ratios, you know, leverage. The bank is kind of, you know, ideally closer to two to one or below. You know, and that's debt. Uh, you know liabilities over tangible net worth of the company, and I say tangible because I always love it when a business owner says, "Well yeah, there's a receivable in the company that it's me the company you know the company's got money owed from me well, <laughs> that's not an asset of the company
0: right, <laughs>
2: so they don't they don't like that but but it it's pretty simple, and so those those two factors being uh debts tangible equity of under three to one and then cash flow which would be ebitda over all required debt payments is greater than 1.25 per year you know th- those are some pretty healthy parameters and then banks will start uh, wanting to compete against their business you know compete for their business
0: and then coming from a marketing non-financial brain can we just define ebitda i remember hearing that in college but <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's, Can
3: we
0: talk about
2: that? <laughs> and the actual definition is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Okay. But the easiest way I tell a business owner to look at it is take your net profit. If your company is paying taxes in the company level, not personally, add back your taxes, add back the interest you pay to any creditor,
3: okay.
2: and add back your depreciation and amortization. And now you have your, your cash flow. That's what the banks are going to look at. Okay. And then on the other side, they're going to look at and say, what is the lev- required leverage payments you have? Required leverage payments, they're not looking at, at a lease you have on your building. Um, that's already in your income statement. They're looking at, at more balance sheet driven leverage. Um, that could include a capital lease, but they're looking at more balance sheet driven leverage, which is your traditional P&I loans. That could be either for a piece of equipment. It could be for a building. Or it could be the interest you have on your line of credit. And so they're looking at what that required payment is. And a line of credit, I'll just touch on that real quickly. Um if if a client has a line of credit, I'll throw a round number, say it's a million dollars. The bank is only looking at the required payment of what the interest is, not one dollar principal. Because the thought is is that the line of credit is being used to receive receivables until they can be collected. So the principal would be completely offset by the receivable. Hmm. And I'll, I'll jump to a different gear now, um, collateral. Banks love collateral. We never want to collect it. We want to have it. Um, if you look at banks, the most money we spend is, perf- is trying to perfect and monitor collateral that we never want to get. And so uh, from a collateral standpoint in a traditional business, um, advance rates against inventory. Most banks will advance 50 cents on the dollar for inventory unless it's perishable, or unless it's specialty. okay. And then receivables, banks will lend on the, the completed receivable, they will lend 80 cents on the dollar. Sometimes you'll see banks get a little more aggressive or a little less aggressive, but that's probably the 90% rule is 80 cents on the dollar. So 80%. So while the business owner is waiting to collect, well, they still have to pay for their product? you know, their inventory, they also have to pay for all of their staff. Mm -hmm. That's where that line of credit is so important. Okay. So if you get a customer in a high growth phase and they haven't set up a line of credit with with a bank, again, that's that old adage, do it when you don't need it. Get it set up. Um, From a timing standpoint, depending on the bank, uh, your outside time is probably 30 days, um, but the bank should be able to do it within two weeks. Okay. Um, There's no reason they should be longer than 30 and if they are, just have them call us.
0: There you <laughs> <go>. Sly, right? <laughs> Super sly. And I promise we're going to let everyone know where to find you, how to contact you uh, at the very end. So if you're looking for that contact information, you can find it on the show notes for this episode at pjscpas.com forward slash two four, or you can go ahead and just search Cornerstone National Bank. So another question that we get, often is one between loans versus line of credit are there certain situations in which a loan is better to utilize versus your line of credit
2: the loan would be used for for any type of a permanent investment uh, it could be leasehold improvements into the property it, into your you know your the physical plant space of the company it it certainly could be for a, a building um and and it could be for uh equipment. Okay. Uh the line of credit really should be focused on that that working capital component that is mainly supporting either inventory or receivables. Um and and a simple math that we like to encourage clients to look at is a lot of clients see payables as not having a cost. So uh, uh if they get terms through a vendor, they feel like that doesn't have a cost, whereas a line of credit has interest and we tell them right away, did you ask the vendor if they'll give you a discount? And if the vendor will give them a 2% discount for payment within 10 days,
3: mm.
2: or they pay the full balance within 30 or 45 days, that's way more of a, a positive impact for the client to use the line of credit versus you know, not taking advantage of the discount. Um, and so when we show them the math of that, And, again, that's that relationship of getting to know the, you know, getting to know the bank and how can you help me. And when we walk in and talk to them about that, I'll give you another example that I think is very important for business owners to know. When they have a concentration, banks don't like high concentrations. Um, I I have a customer that that deals with uh, uh, a major manufacturer, and they have 90% of their product comes from that manufacturer. Well, on the other side, they also have the majority of their revenue from one customer. Mm. That customer has had some financial hardship. Our client has a good margin. They were curious if they should, what they should do, and how they should drop that client. Well, we we introduced them to an outside firm that came in, and they're insuring their receivables. So now they're not taking the risk of that client, and yet they have this concentration going on. But now they're not as concerned about continuing to do business. They have a strong enough margin. Um, they didn't know that answer was out there and that that can be very material because you know you don't want to uh pretend that you know what's going on with every business you're doing business with but if you have too much exposure in one how do you protect yourself
0: right no that makes sense so shifting gears to what we were talking about too in the intro is we want to look at ways to help business owners make their business more bankable. And I know you've touched on a couple of different aspects already, but what do I as a business owner need to be looking at if I am trying to build up to get a loan for something, or, you know, I want to get, go out and get that line of credit. What do I need to be focused on to button up, to, to talk to a banker?
2: Probably, probably the easiest starting point would be just, just if let's say a business is in bed, has, has been in business for at least three years. Gather the financial statements, set up an appointment with the bank, um, ask for somebody in the commercial uh banking area, and walk in and say, "Here's my financials um and and here's where I think I'm trying to head in my company you know here's where I think revenues are going um I'm going to invest in staff you know what am i I'm gonna do and and really, the main thing would be is walk in with those financials. And, and, you know, set up that meeting and walk in with financials. So the preparation would be gathering up to three years financial statements. When I say up to, if the business hasn't been in one year, then just take one year. Okay. But, but take at least three if you've been in business that long. Um, take in uh, a current year to date statement. That's where the accounting firms come into play very well. Um, and then take in uh, your accounts receivable and your accounts payable agings.
3: Okay.
2: Those are very important so because we want to understand um what is owed to you who it's owed from what what's the the turnaround time how much is that uh, converting to cash you know we don't like to see receivables that are greater than 90 days past due past invoice date and then the same with payables we would prefer to see that our clients are owed money much longer terms than they pay money okay so that ap aging if we're seeing them pay in 45 days, great. We'd hope their receivables are being collected in 45 or just a little longer. If it's the other way around where they're collecting in 30 and paying in 45, well then I'd hope I'd see pretty heavy cash balances that they're sitting on or a lot of money tied up in inventory. Okay. So those are things that we're gonna we're gonna look for. But I think that they could do to benefit themselves, set up the meeting and, and come in prepared, come in with financials. Banks will ask for personal financials. It's not hard to say, hey, I'm going to set up the meeting. Can you send me a list of what you would need? They'll usually send a blank personal financial statement.
3: Okay.
2: They're not looking for account numbers. They're not looking for exact numbers. Personal financial statements for the majority of people can be completed within 10 minutes. Okay. Um, you know, we don't, We're not looking for trusts or anything very creative. It's just off the top of your head, what approximately do you own and what approximately do you owe? And it helps put that picture together because the more that banks can understand the profile, the, the, the quicker they'll get to a very real response. Okay. So I think that's, that's probably the best advice I would give, you know, as I meet new, uh, new people, that's the first thing we tell them is, Hey, and, and, and if you want, even before the meeting, send the information into me because then once we have the meeting, You know, if I have somebody that already looks very strong when they walk into the meeting, well, we're going to be a lot more aggressive. Right. You know, we're going to, we're going to, and and it's a very real conversation because it's not like I just want to extend a bunch of credit to you that you don't need, but it's going to be a much more tangible conversation to what type of pricing could we give them? What's the cost? And uh, how much credit and what structure should the credit be? when you do no different than anybody when you do something for a living for a long time it it becomes much more of a, a a you can see the picture easier and and when you think of any business owner they're usually very good at some aspect of their business mm. a lot of times finance is not not a high priority certainly not banking and yeah. so that's where we can come into play and 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 really help them but but when they get all the information to the bank ahead of time the The quality of the meeting and the the quality of their uh, their walk away feeling is much better.
1: And I would also say that you know, I mean, interest rates. I know we're going to talk about interest rates here in a second, but you know, I mean, depending on you know the applicants or the relationships, uh, uh, when you're going to seek for that. Obviously, if you have a more riskier position, chances are your interest rates going to be higher. You know, I mean, that's just it's kind of banking one (laughs) hundred and one. kind of had that idea and you know where you're at to, you know, kind of going back to speaking to what Jeff was saying at the very beginning, you know, when he was talking about having those difficult conversations and they're so incredibly necessary, especially for business owners, because all that does is that it does squeeze them a little bit, but it really prepares them, prepares them for the future and it puts them in a much better position that when there are fires, Those are easily put out or they're manageable or whatever, whatever has to happen. You can react to them in a much more sound way um, than, than just reacting. And it's a knee jerk reaction and you just, you do whatever you have to, to try and survive as opposed to plan out your business and prepare for, for what could happen and potentially happen in the future. So.
2: Jamie, one of the things you're, you're hitting on there is so important that that let's uh, let's assume the relationship is already with the bank. The mistake that business owners uh make when times are bad is they they assume they shouldn't communicate to the bank because it's going to be just a negative discussion and If the bank at all feels like it's a client that can surprise them with bad news, the banks will get much more costly they'll get much more conservative mm. and they will not be as friendly to help because they they feel that that trust. Factor is is a, a major concern, and and our clients that I think have had the most success will give us a heads up that I'm concerned this is where this is heading, and then, you know, when something does happen, there's not an alarm that goes off, so we don't increase interest rates, we don't freeze lines of credit, we mm-hmm. keep working capital open to them, um, we help them uh, brainstorm ways to uh, either adjust through a cycle, reduce cost, um, protect themselves. You know, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun for us to be a hero in a situation versus versus being a, a, a attack dog where we're trying to protect ourselves. And so that communication to the bank, um, some people would think that that's self-serving to the bank. Um, it just from, you know, certainly living through a lot of different economic environments uh, in banking. And and most importantly, the you know the recession from the '09 timeframe. Um, Our clients that communicated, we had no surprises with them, and also we saved them a lot of money because while they may have had an attorney at the table, we didn't. Their attorney was there because of maybe times were tough, and we said, you know, look, we trust you. I don't need my attorney sitting there because you're paying for my attorney. I don't want my attorney sitting there because it it doesn't need to be. You know, this is new to you, so I appreciate you're trying to protect yourself. But and that's good for them to do. I have no problem with that. But when it's an open line of communication, when times are, are tough, it's surprising how helpful banks can actually be. You know, we can help them um, with creditors. We can help them uh, negotiate deals that would protect them. So our goal at the end of the day is to help the owner of the business, help their their staff and their team. Um, be safe and and succeed at what they were trying to do and how do you get from point A to point B. And so that's such a that's that was a, a wonderful education for us, but I think that's also that's also very indicative of an open relationship. And that's where where again there's not a cost structure that we're charging for any of that.
3: Hmm.
2: So uh it's it makes banking actually much more interesting when you can play that And I I hate to use the phrase, but that that hero position where you're actually bringing some solution to a business owner that wasn't thought of, and yet we're not paid for that, right? It's part of the relationship that you're hoping as the banker, you find some of those those aha moments that are quite material to a success uh, element within your client.
1: Amen. And that, that aha moment, I think that's, that's a really important thing is that aha moment that, that you're able to, it's not a payday for you. And it's, we run our business in a very, very, very similar manner, just how you run the bank. And that aha moment is there for the client. It's not a payday for us. You know, it says, Hey, look at what you've done. Look at, you know what I mean? Look at, look at the position you've put yourself in because of this. And that, I mean, there's, there's a reward that's way beyond money at that point in time. Right. And you know, I right. think it's such an invaluable relationship um, to have. And you know, you talked about your attorneys and your, your CPAs and your bankers and your, everybody needs to talk. And I think that's one of the biggest messages we give our clients too, is your team has to talk. If your team doesn't talk, you lose. Like you're the one that loses out on this. And, um, sometimes we get tied up. We do get tied up in tiny little numbers, but we miss the overarching picture and the, and the over, um, value that comes from that. Um, because that's where your strategy is found. That's where a lot of your cost savings is found. That's where, you know, that, that's, that's what takes you to the next level. So, um,
2: that I, is I, such I a great
1: point. Aha moments. I love the aha moments. I, I had one with right. a client like three months ago when we were talking and when she first came to us and she said, I hate finances. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with them. I like cringe right. at the thought of having a conversation. And it was funny because like within two or three months of, you know, talking through different feasible parts of her businesses and shifting and everything, she called me and she said, I just got to throw something off of you. I said, sure. What's up? And she went through. And I said, I just want to stop you, just stop. And I just want you to listen to what just came out of your mouth and how, uh, where you, you spoke from a different place of financials of what you understood and where your business needs to be. Like you took ownership, you took responsibility, but you did that. And I, you know, those as a professional, those are such, so rewarding, um, instances for us to do. So Anyway, I know, Meg, we're kind of getting a little off topic here. We can go back to interest rates.
0: (laughs) No, no, I think this is the good stuff because coming, especially, you know, I'm not familiar with the banking industry, but coming from an outsider's perspective, to your point, Jeff, I wouldn't expect to have those conversations, you know, and owning a business, even thinking to go to my banker and say, hey, you know, I foresee an issue coming up in the next quarter and having that conversation and leveraging. The network that that person might have, or the the knowledge that they would right. have to help dig me out of a hole, like it's just not anything that would even be on my radar. So to have these conversations, I think, is important because we hear the same thing in talking to people about CPA services. Like they just think, oh, you do taxes, but it's so much more than that. <laughs> right. It's opening right. up people's minds about like the possibilities of what's even available, and there's other solutions that you might not even know about.
2: We look at, at at warm connections, right? And uh, I'll I'll touch on two things real quickly. Um, one is uh, no different than than the business professional being an accountant, uh, attorney, um, bankers. Um, we're so exposed to all types of in- industries that you know somebody has an electrical issue in their home. They have a plumbing issue in their home. Well, if we refer somebody, that client that we're referring doesn't want us to look bad. So all right. of a sudden, the level of care, as well as the price, both of them are improved. Right. And so it's that warm connection that makes a huge difference. And then, you know, I I, I go a step further. One more thing I would say about uh, a new relationship to banking. One of the first things we ask a client when they choose to come to us is, who is your accountant? And we want to meet with them.
3: Hmm.
2: And we set up meetings to go meet with them because a lot of times we'll say, okay. What's the nuance of this client? you know if the accountant's known them for five years or longer, you know what's the nuance, and is there something that I should be helping push and promote that maybe is a weakness in the client that that the accountant's seeing and uh, now all of a sudden, you know there's a team approach, and and a lot of times we'll say, you know what let's let's the three of us meet together with a customer." And all of a sudden, now the client is, is able to brainstorm something with somebody that, that's newer to them, as well as somebody that's been around them. And if you hear the same theme coming out of both of the professionals you're working with, well, you might look at it a little different. Right. So we, we certainly see high value um, in doing that, convincing our clients to use that advisory component of the professionals that they've already hired to help them with their company. We'll bring them together. Mm. Makes a huge difference. You were mentioning uh, uh, interest rates, you know, and where they're at. I mean, right now they're fantastic from a, a client standpoint. Bankers are going to complain about margins, but nobody wants to hear a banker complain.
3: Um,
2: <laughs> but, but from the uh, client standpoint, you know, they're they're borrowing term loans um, somewhere around four, around four percent. You know, uh, probably as high as five. Uh, depending on on the nature of what it is, and then from a, a fee standpoint, banks are getting more heavily into fees. They're because their margins are are, are being challenged by uh, uh, you know the shrinking rate environment. Um, banks, you're going to see fees continue to be a bigger dialogue because um, they're going to have to charge for what the cost of their services are. So since they're not making it up an interest rate, loan documentation fees are going up. Um, It could be a a processing fee, they'll call it. They'll call it whatever it is. There isn't a a black and white to it. But but I would expect clients to see a little more in fees. Um, How can clients get around that? Just have a dialogue and and don't be surprised. Have a dialogue and say, what is the the total cost picture going to be? Just give me a, a term sheet, if you would, on your rate structure, as well as your cost structure. Estimate it for me, if you would. Um, then there's no surprises. I we we do. I don't want to be in a surprise discussion, but and then from a line of credit standpoint, they're still variable rate uh, priced. Um, they're either off of the prime index, which is currently at four points at at four point seven five, or they're off of uh, a LIBOR index. Usually the LIBOR index is a thirty day LIBOR. Um, all in all, the the end rate to the client. Uh, traditionally, right now for uh, working capital financing is in the upper fours. Okay. So that's where the most of them. If you get a a, a very strong client, you can get into the upper threes. But that kind of gives you a range from a pricing standpoint of what uh, customers can expect. And then from the deposit and treasury management standpoint, how do they best make their cash flow work for them? And uh, you know how how are they paying attention to idle cash? So line of credits paid to zero, they have excess cash. What are they doing with it? And then that's where the banker come in as well and help them with, with be a short term or whether it be a long term strategy. Um, I always believe when we see clients that are are uh, in more of a mature state and they're building cash, you know, what's the impact of investing into additional people on the sales team? You know, and all of a sudden they see when they're investing in them in themselves and investing in staff. And they look at the margin that the, the additional cost structure can bring in. It's very favorable. Right. So th- those are all those are all components. But I think from a pricing standpoint, just to give people ranges, I, I think that's that's important for them to see, especially if they haven't had the uh, the bank exposure before.
0: And in looking at commercial lending, whether you know the business owner has been around for 20 plus years or they're just starting out. Do you have any advice that you would give to them as far as maybe some things to avoid or best practices, smart tactics? You know, what should they be looking for in a bank and in the loans that they're trying to get?
2: Probably the biggest thing I would say in this market right now is, is be careful with swaps. Um, swaps seem like a great idea. So swap is the ability where they're going to uh, borrow from a bank at a low fixed rate. The bank is going to receive a floating rate. They will take that instrument. We do them here. They'll take the bank will take that instrument and hedge it in the the marketplace for a fixed rate to the client. So an example would be a client could get a swap um, for five years at say three and a half percent. Sounds incredible,
3: right?
2: Um, and so they they go and lock in a, a rate. Maybe it's even four percent. They go That'd eh, be low lower than four, but they go and lock in a rate and. Uh, uh, There's not a prepayment penalty, but a swap has what's called a yield maintenance. So if they chose to pay that loan either in advance or pay it off early, the risk they run from market rates continuing to decline is is enormous. And in round numbers, if somebody was doing a uh, a seven figure uh, loan, um, a lot of times people would say, if I pay it off early, I could have a 1% prepayment penalty. Well, in a swap, that percentage could work out to be ten percent, so they have to be careful um, because if we do get into you know if I look at what's happening in Europe and other countries, there is a declining rate environment occurring you know there's the concept of negative interest rates, and if we see continued drops in in interest rates, swaps can be very dangerous for people um, uh, other than that uh, I, I think they just need to understand what their terms are um, banks are, are 10 years ago, there was not as many prepayment penalties. Uh, They're very common now. And that's okay. I mean, it's not, you know, banks aren't usually going to apply the prepayment penalty if you're staying with them. They're going to apply it if you leave them and go somewhere else. But everything was very fair when it was set up. It's just markets change and all of a sudden they don't. You know, they might not like what the current rate environment is or what they want to do. But, uh, you know, I would say on a prepayment penalty, um, you know they want to they want to be able to see it adjust down you know, maybe three percent year one and then adjust down on your fixed rates down to one percent. But uh, uh, other than that, I mean I, I think the the biggest things that you know if we talk about ways to safeguard their business, um, I think the biggest things they should focus on is is getting to know the bank, talking about how they protect themselves from uh, risk with concentrations. Um, you know you can insure receivables. Um, talk about uh, liquidity, mm-hmm. how they protect themselves if they have a, an opportunity happen, whether it's positive or negative.
3: Okay.
2: What's the bank going to do? How long will it take? And uh, uh, you know, and bring then their professionals together. I think that doing that, uh, they're just bringing a, a strong team together that that's all helping them march the same way. And when something doesn't seem to appear right, whether it's a shrinking margin in their company, whether it's something that's happening in the industry. I mean, when healthcare laws changed, a lot of our clients didn't know what was going on. Well, we pulled in their professionals and said, hey, let's all sit together and we'll share with you what you we think you should do, what we think you should learn. And, you know, everybody doesn't want to be an expert. You want to surround yourself by people that help you know what you need to attack. Right. And so it's it's things like that. But You know, I I don't like when I see bankers uh, meet with their clients once a year. I don't like when I see accountants meet with their clients once a year. Um, I think there should be uh, some health checkups that happen uh, periodically that might have no task associated with it. It's just simply a get-together to say what's going on. And uh, uh, it's amazing. A lot of the aha moments come out of that time um, where all of a sudden there's much more free thought. There's less task-driven discussion and there's much more productive uh, where are we heading together and uh, makes it more fun.
1: I think too, I've been to- on a
2: soapbox, so I got to, <laughs> sorry.
1: Well, no, I think, I think <laughs> what you're that really is so important because I think all of us sitting here are, are all a, we're small business owners and also, you know, we serve as professionals as well, but, no one person should bear the burden. I don't care if you're a professional, a business owner, or anything, because no one person is going to have all the answers you need and all of the the viable solutions that you need. But to your point, when your professionals work together and when they, you know, you come up with, it's just amazing when you have that collaboration and how far that pushes you as a business owner. And you know, I, I know some people, like when I talk about, you know, what we do, which is, like I said, very similar to what, how you guys operate too, Jeff, is people always say, well, if you, you know, it's almost like fear of education, you're going to give them too much that they might not need you anymore. And I would say it's contrary, very the opposite. They realize how valuable that actually is right. and that action is. And, um, you know, that that's not on one person's shoulders and that when we have, you know, we can kind of, um, you know, spread our knowledge and we can tap into those resources and those walks of life that we all have had, um, you know, we can come up with the best solution for that business owner. And it's not just on them and it's not just on one professional, but it's on your team, your team that they've built that relationship and those roots that they've, you know, grown. Right. Agreed. Perfect. Well,
0: thank you again so much, Jeff, for joining us today. I think we talked about so much. I mean, there was a lot of knowledge, I think, in, in today's episode and a lot that I didn't know about, you know, And but just learning about the opportunities. How would people get a hold of you? Do you work with anyone in the, within the U.S.?
2: We, we're we a national bank, so we work with anyone in the U.S. A lot of our clients also have foreign operations. Okay. Um, so it's, a, it's pretty simple. Uh, uh, we're Cornerstone National Bank, which is uh, cornerstonenb.com. Okay. Um, that's where our, our site is at. And uh, uh, we're we're pretty easy to get a hold of. We're Chicagoland-based, but we have clients. Uh, we're Chicagoland-based because of employees, but we have clients all over the country.
3: Great. And we
0: will include all of the contact information for you and your company in the show notes for this episode as well. As I said, this is episode number 24, so that all can be found at pjscpas.com forward slash two four and we just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us and give us you know so much knowledge in today's episode so thank
2: you well congratulations to the two of you as well this is uh this is very cool to see what you guys have accomplished um the concept that you're bringing to the market that i don't think exists um the the uh and also not, not just from the um client standpoint but also from the future colleague standpoint you know your future colleagues uh what you guys are putting together it's a i think it's a great concept and i'd look forward to seeing how this grows and expands throughout uh, all states it's pretty cool
0: thank you so much jeff we appreciate that yeah well thank okay. you thank you again for sharing all of your knowledge i think that's all we have for you today keep up that momentum and we will see you next week
1: this has been another episode
0: of the cultivating business growth podcast If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com
3: forward slash podcast.